kicking off our first Wiley webcast for 2021. Pretty exciting. We're about to enter into what I consider to be the roaring 20s. I'm Rashida McMurray. I'm the Chief Diversity Officer for Wiley. And in honor of Dr. King's holiday on Monday, January 18, 2021, we wanted to start off the year with a courageous conversation. MLK Day of Service is the only federal holiday that is designated as a National Day of Service, a day on and not off. Now, with the pandemic this year, we're all kind of hunkered down. We're at home. So we won't be going out in a literal sense of being out to be a day of service. But I didn't want the moment to pass without us really thinking about the significance of Dr. King and his legacy, particularly in, in the times we find ourselves now. Dr. King's holiday was first celebrated 35 years ago on January 20th, 1986. However, it wasn't until 2000 that all 50 states and the District of Columbia recognized the holiday. So we've definitely made some progress in the last 21 years. And to kind of like level set, one of the reasons why I thought it was important to have this conversation and talk about a day of a reflection, we're hearing a lot about corporate responsibility, diversity and inclusion, and social justice and impact. And so those are the things that are resonating not only within the, the corporate boardrooms, but also within the legal profession. And as we know, Dr. King had won the Nobel Peace Prize, and it was for combating racial inequity through nonviolent resistance. And we find ourselves in 2021 similarly having these same conversations. However, I will say, and I'm optimistic, that we've made a lot of progress. And so today I am excited and thrilled to have David Hubbard join me in a conversation to talk about the intersectionality of corporate responsibility, social justice, and diversity, equity, inclusion. David is a well-renowned legal scholar, leader, an effective motivator for his team. And what I really admire most about David is that over the time that I've known him, he has not been afraid to have very courageous conversations with his external counsel with respect to diversity and inclusion. So having today's podcast, I couldn't think of anyone more that I'd want to start the conversation as we really kind of explore this intersectionality. So David, welcome to the conversation. Well, thank you, Rashida. I appreciate it. And thank you for having me and hello to the Wiley team. And I really appreciate this opportunity to spend some uh, time with you today. Great. So, so Dave, I want to start with your story, your journey, your path to the law. You started off at the University of Maryland, top scholar, Phi Beta Kappa. Also, I think you were part of another fraternity that you may have in common with Dr. King. Is that correct? Yes, I'm a proud member of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated, as was uh, Dr. King. So when you started college, did you know you wanted to be a lawyer? No, but I had an inkling that the law would be a part of my journey. Um, and I say inkling because when I started college, I went to the University of Maryland as a journalism major. And I was starting to come with a tad bit of reality that I might not be a sportscaster, but that was what I had planned to do. And my backup plan was to be a sports lawyer and um, a sports agent at the time. And so the law was a path to two things that I loved very much, which were sports and music. And I was hoping to stay engaged in both the sport and the music world via the path of law initially. So that was, that was my thought process. It okay. seems that worked out because you're in digital and media and so you have that entertainment aspect of it. 
Yes, uh, you know, as I like to say, the uh, the universe is incomprehensible but embraceable. I am doing what I'm doing by happenstance. While I had the intention of of being a sports agent and the like, I went to law school. I learned a little bit more about it. I actually spent some time meeting with some people who were in the industry. I was at that point in time living in the wonderful city of Washington D.C. I was also told that if I really wanted to pursue entertainment and the like, I would probably need to either move back into the New York area, which is where I was originally from, or to the West Coast. And so as I learned more about it, I was actually just brought to a different place in many ways. I went to my law firm in Washington, D.C. after law school. I was at Kelly Dry and Warren. And you couldn't tell me at the time being one, the only young black associate there, uh, two, and not having any black partners at the firm, that I wasn't going to be a partner there and bring an entertainment practice to the law firm. Now, mind you, these are my summer associate dreams. And so while I started there, that never came to fruition. I um, got a project that happened to deal with marketing. And I was doing consumer protection litigation and federal investigation work, and I loved it. And while I had a couple of side hip hop artists and producers that I did legal work for, it was nowhere near the type of practice that would have uh, led me to a major partnership. Now that was now I was young in career, so um, that was in the first couple of years, but. Uh, it's been an amazing ride at Verizon where I have had the pleasure of working with tons of athletes and artists from, you know, Beyonce and Kanye West to uh, LeBron James and Serena Williams and other folks like that, where I've been able to do contract work uh, for the for the corporation as we've worked with all of these wonderful artists. So it's been a really, really wonderful journey. I'm surprised you didn't mention about your experience taking your father and your sons to the Indy 500. I know that's something that you talk about was really transformative. It was phenomenal. One, because my father and my boys as well are great big racing fans and car enthusiasts. But really, most importantly, it was time for us to spend together um, in a way that we hadn't. It was sort of a three-generational weekend where my boys who are now uh, 14, I have twin, uh, twin boys who are 14, were able to spend quality time with my father and share and me and uh, share in a journey that none of us had experienced before. You know, it was interesting uh, that you uh, brought that up. I hadn't thought about it in a minute, but it was a really wonderful opportunity and a great, what I'll call perk of, of uh, being uh, Verizon, being a sponsor and indie sponsor for many years you took a leap of faith leaving the wonderful district of columbia to go to new jersey for that role at verizon and what did you learn most about yourself that you carry with you from that experience well yes and no i was with verizon in the dc area and i worked in dc in our arlington offices for many years before moving to new jersey a few years. So when I moved, it was a leap of faith for a bigger and greater role within the corporation. But to get to the substance of your question, I learned a ton because I didn't know anybody here in, um, you know, New Jersey. And it was a move for our whole family 
there was also uh, sort of what you, those life changes that dovetail with personal changes where I was stepping into a leadership role in the organization. While I like to fashion myself as someone with a fair bit of confidence, I'd be lying to you if I didn't tell you that operating in, and working here at our corporate headquarters, coming as a young, and I moved here, I was at that point 36, I guess, or 35, having conversations with uh, what people would call the most senior folks in the organization, you know, I had a ton of self-doubt. I had a fair bit of some questions within my own head that I had to wrestle with in terms of walking into a room, being the only Black person still in the room in most cases, and being, you know, confident and believing in myself that I could do the job. You know, it's worked out very, very well so far. And you continue to, like, break a whole bunch of glass ceilings and exceed expectations. I want to pivot a little bit. You talked about leadership roles. Um, I know that you had shared with me that you were the general counsel of Verizon's foundation. And so as we kind of shift our conversation about corporate responsibility, uh, I know that Verizon launched Citizen Verizon over the summer and that your general counsel, Craig Selman, is very, very vocal about making it a priority that Verizon is not only part of the conversation, but leading from the front. And so from a legal perspective, from the legal team, can you share a little bit about, you know, maybe the behind the scenes or how you guys have been moving forward with in terms of Citizen Verizon and how it's going after six months? Um, sure. Citizen Verizon is sort of a recognition by uh, the corporation of the role that we play in society. Verizon has over 100 million customers. And the reality is, in, in many respects, one third of the U.S. population, we have some sort of relationship with and or responsibility for um, and and even broader. Right. So um, Citizen Verizon at its very base is our commitment to have a really positive environmental impact, to have an, a, a positive economic impact or positive social impact on the greater society that we serve. And being a and really taking our corporate responsibility and making sure we have action that goes with it. And so, you know, the broad efforts include digital inclusion, uh, volunteer hours. Uh, we've committed to 2.5 million volunteer hours as an organization by 2025 to connect 10 million youth with broadband by 2030, job training and the like. So there is really a call to action for us as a corporation to make a difference. And from a legal perspective, there are, of course, a number of ways that we can do the same thing and do try to do the same thing. And that ranges from, you know, our pro bono efforts where we, you know, facilitate and uh, work on expungements and criminal resentencing and criminal justice reform work that we've taken on, as well as you know, participation in pipeline development and programs like street law and you know, New Jersey Leap and legal outreach. And these are all programs to help the youth develop and be exposed to both corporate legal departments. And we've partnered with uh, many of our law firms in those initiatives as well. And so, you know, those are just a few of the things that we are trying to do to, to have an, you know, an impact on, on greater society. Yeah, thank you. And and I think it's very interesting that corporations historically have tended to have very large groups of foundations. And so putting pulling together a lot of resources where they're doing good in the community. 
And I think similarly, what we're starting to also see is a trend within law firms thinking about what does it mean, even though we're not corporate entities, or some are professional corporations, and that's another whole story. But from a legal perspective, you know, in a structured law firms are really trying, starting to have, you know, that dialogue also about being good corporate citizens. Do you feel like in terms of your role, are you having those type of conversation with your external counsel and saying, what are they doing from a corporate citizen responsibility? And how are you kind of enforcing or influencing and saying that that's what you expect of your partners? Thank you, Rashida. And the answer is yes. And we've had a lot of conversation about how we can even become more effective mm -hmm. uh, in, in, in terms of helping push our law firms, we have a, a pretty significant legal spend. We have a number of partner firms that we work with. We actually have an RFP that we are in the process of now. But as we selected firms and set forth our requirements, diversity and inclusion is one of them. It's a key criteria for us. We are now asking our firms, how are they demonstrating a commitment, a shared commitment to improving diversity, equity, inclusion in the legal space. We are asking our, our firms, how do they go about allocating credit to ensure that diverse attorneys within the firm are getting credit for the work that they do? We have put forth requirements, both for racial and ethnic diversity, as well as gender diversity. And those are targets that we now are sharing with our firms to ensure that our matters are staffed with diverse attorneys. And so, because we do have a power of the purse, if we may call it that, uh, it's it's really important that that we are are taking action and and partnering with our firms, and I and we do take it as a, a partnership to further the industry and the profession, in a way where you know candidly, as many of us know, the legal industry is not the most diverse profession out there, and we collectively, as we are all working in it, have the. Uh, the opportunity, and I'd like to say obligation to change that. I know that we've had lots of conversations about the most effective way to make diversity and inclusion part of a fabric as opposed to just moments of times or make it transactional. And you mentioned earlier in our, in our discussion, you talked about when you moved into a senior leadership role about having doubt. Did you have any concerns about like how finding your voice knowing that you were the only, you know, African-American male in the room and pushing the envelope or even just raising that awareness with your seat at the table. Yeah. I'd like to say, like anything else in our journey, I'm far more comfortable in my skin to, as I sit here today than I was 10 years ago and five years ago. But we still have doubts in terms of raising voice, pushing the needle, having uncomfortable conversations with people, sharing uh, our authentic selves with our colleagues, recognizing that we are far more the same than we are different, but we do have unique perspectives to bring to the table. And I've got to trust that my perspective is one that will be valued. And, you know, I've, I've got to be confident enough to share it. And that has been a career journey you know, and continues to be one in which, you know, this podcast is uh, uh, in honor of, of Dr. King. And I, I think I'd be remiss if we don't look at many of the lessons that he taught and the legacy of our uh, ancestors and the things that they fought for to give me the opportunity that I have 
to work at an organization like Verizon every day and to have gotten the education that I've been blessed to get. And so in many ways, despite my uncomfort or discomfort, um, I feel chartered in many ways to speak, in many ways to push, to try to leave, whether we call it a lasting legacy or making a difference, just trying to leave the corporation and, and, and broadly the, the industry and the people we come across better than it was when I joined. I love that last part that you said, like leaving it a better place than we found it. I think the one thing that we, we've all learned, or at least I know I personally have learned in the last year, which is kind of surprising that we are almost at a year at being locked down, you know, due to the pandemic. And what I've learned is to appreciate the moment. But I also think that this time has helped us to slow down and be much more intentional about how we interact with each other and think about each other and, and the fact that we are one big society. I know over the last couple of weeks, you know, we've started 2021 with the bang. And Verizon is one of the companies has come out very forcefully saying, you know, the support in democracy and upholding that standard. I think at this moment, it's really a lot of bold conversations. Do you think we're going to continue even after maybe we go back to our new normal? We're going to continue to have these conversations or have these moments and opportunities. You know, I certainly hope so. At Verizon, we're committed to continuing the conversation. Um, but I would also say the conversations are not enough, right? We have to be committed to actions in our respective spheres of influence that will lead us to a better place in the future. And I think, you know, this can be looked at individually and, and collectively. When I think about all that we've seen in 2020, from the pandemic to really shining a light on the racial injustices that have existed for decades and, and, and hundreds of years here in America, it's sort of been an awakening for many of us to the journey that we remain to be on. And, and so, you know, while we have made tons of progress, and you indicated this in the, you know, as we started the, the podcast, we also have so far to go. When you think about the level of bias and, and hatred and things that we've seen really on display this year, including last week at the, the Capitol, there's no question that there is an element of our society that has yet to embrace others. Put simply, just yet to embrace others, and that's putting it politely. Um, and I think, you know, for us to really make a difference, we've got to continue the conversations, engage, embrace them and everyone in the spirit of compassion and love and empathy to learn from each other and spend time with each other. You know, when I think about this pandemic and, and learning and growth, I've learned so much about myself in the time. I imagine we all have by having a little bit more time to reflect. Even this past week, thinking about Dr. King, I didn't realize, you know, I come, my grandfather actually worked a lot with Dr. King. I didn't actually know all of that history. I knew he had met him, but he was the uh, lead of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference in Jefferson County, Georgia, and had spent time there and fought against the same injustices that we were fighting against today. And you know, there was a case that dealt with police brutality. And this goes back to the 60s. There was the 
uh, a fight for rights at that point, voting rights, believe it or not, right? When you're mm-hmm. thinking back to the to the mid '60s, so much of this is an ongoing uh, or continuation of a process of awakening that I think we all have to have. Suffice it to say that we have lots of work to do, and I pray that we all continue to look within ourselves to be a little bit more aware and conscious of how we interact with each other and collectively as organizations, and that's law firms as well as uh, corporations, as to what we support, what we do, and how we can make a difference. Yeah, I think that is such a great way to end our conversation. You know, I I spent time just, you know, as I knew that we were going to have this conversation, rereading I Have a Dream. And it's so profound to realize that was written in 1963, and we're now in 2021. And the messages of spirit of hope and togetherness that Dr. King talked about, um, particularly when he says, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring from the hilltops of New Hampshire. Let freedom ring from the mighty mountains of New York. Let freedom ring from the heightening Alleghenies of Pennsylvania. Let freedom ring from the snow-capped Rockies of Colorado. Let freedom ring from the curvaceous slopes of California. But not only that, let freedom ring from Stone Mountain of Georgia. Let freedom ring from every hill and mohill of Mississippi and every mountainside. And I think that is so prophetic, those words, because he talks about the fabric of our country. And as, as different as we have these rolling hills And we're very fortunate in the sense of having such great diversity with respect to our geography, our landscape, our culture. And so we will need to continue on that journey and need to keep thinking about that we are all one, we're all Americans. And, you know, thinking about how Dr. King's words continue to live in us each and every day. So with David, that I thank you so much for taking the time to have this conversation, to be our first guest. I hope you've enjoyed the conversation as much as I have. And I hope that you have a wonderful week and all the best to you in 2021. Thank you, Rashida. It has been an absolute pleasure. I appreciate it. Wishing you a wonderful 2021. And we'll talk soon. We and Riley, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to today's podcast in observance of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and all of his achievements. We're really especially grateful for David sharing his thoughts as we have the conversation about intersectionality with respect to corporate responsibility, social justice, and diversity, equity, inclusion. Let's also remember to use Dr. King's examples as a guide as we continue to purposely and intentionally support each other on this journey to making the world a much better place. We look forward to joining you again next month for one of our amazing diversity, equity, inclusion podcasts. Have a wonderful day. Take care.